Paradise in Hell, a look back at Saturday Night Live with your hosts, Matt and Keith. Brought to you by Lion's Den Audio Theater. Like and subscribe to Lion's Den Audio Theater for more Lion's Den goodness. And here are your hosts, Keith and Matt. Saturday Night Live, Season 3, Episode 10, starring Robert Klein, originally aired on January 28th, 1978. Hello, welcome to SNL. My name is Keith. With me, as always, my good buddy, Matt. Hello, Matt. Hello, Keith. I am uh, thirsty. Uh, My French fries were too salty, and I am out of cigarettes, so it's a mixed bag. Yeah, that's not a good combination. And guess who's back tonight? It's our uh, longtime, close, personal third chair. It's Chili. Hello, Chili. Hey, guys. How's it going? Going very well. Welcome back, Chili, for this uh, Robert Klein episode. It's season three. It's episode 10. We last saw you at the uh, Mary Kay Place episode. That's correct. I believe the overall consensus was good host, bad material. That's right. Let's see if this follows the same trend. So there is a uh, so- something of a white elephant I haven't mentioned yet on the show, but it has been going on or it's over now. John Belushi had been shooting Animal House from October to through December. Um, so he was doing Animal House on uh, during the week and... Uh, well, he was doing Animal House, and then he was getting to the show in time for the Wednesday read-throughs. So despite the fact that we've really kind of, our, our opinion of Belushi seems to have gone up a little bit this year, he's working rather hard on probably the thing that's going to make him a superstar, even more so than this show, would you think? Yeah, I, uh, that's where, you know, let me preface. I've never seen Animal House uh, but I am, of course, aware of its reputation, and uh, my general impression is that that's what made him a quote-unquote star star. I've also never seen Animal House, and I will just copy the exact same thing Matt just said. Um, coming on the end of the year, when we when we reach sort of in our timeline when Animal House is released, we're going to have a little special episode where we'll review Animal House. Right on. So, Matthew, this is your our second time seeing Robert Klein. Uh, the first time was back in season one, episode five. It aired on November 15th, 1975. Uh, Matt, at that point, you declared him to be the uh, very personification of mediocre. How are you feeling about Robert Klein all these months later? Eh, you know, so-so. I liked Klein, not a lot, but uh, there was other issues with the show that our old friend D, who used to be our permanent third chair, really liked his cartoon bear. Matt just was meh about the whole thing. That episode was marred by the whole let's destroy ABBA controversy. If you remember that, Matt, uh, Michael O'Donoghue put them on a sinking ship. Yes, I remember. Dreadful. ABBA deserved better. Yeah, yeah. International superstars. Yeah, and they were on the uh, certainly on the rise at that point. Um, we averaged out with a 4.7 on that episode. Um, I went six, Matt went four, D went three. In the Live from New York book, Robert Klein speaks about how much the show changed over the two years since he appeared. He singles out uh, John Belushi as being, quote unquote, I I believe it was a changed man. Um, And uh, this is sort of a time when Belushi's demons are ramping up and they're actually about to peak, really. But uh, in the monologue, Klein also mentions how organized it's gotten and how much of a system they have it down to as opposed to like you know two years before where um they're running around like chickens with their heads cut off matt it's hard to think back i mean it's not that long ago for us but is that obvious in the show that they've got it down to a system now or are well on their way to getting it down to a system i do think it's obvious that there is uh, forward motion in that direction it feels like the that the chaos is a little more controlled. I mean, doing live sketch comedy on on television is always going to be a little chaotic, I think. Mm-hmm. But uh, and I, you know, I, and I hear it still is today, based on uh, audience uh, experience, little things that I read about. I think the proof of that pudding is in their ability to do more ambitious sketches with more yeah. costumes and things like that, uh, because they've really fine tuned the the nitty gritty of it. A little bit. Musical guest tonight is Bonnie Raitt. Um, it's a name I know, and I only know Bonnie Raitt from like 89 onward. Uh, Chili, she has a country flair to her. Um, Matt, uh, you've already mentioned you're, you're not against Bonnie Raitt. What do you think of Bonnie Raitt going into the show? I like her sl- some of her slower stuff. And, you know, spoiler, I actually did enjoy what she did tonight. 
but yeah, not my type of music. You know, I like more, uh, I guess I'll say like outlaw country type. It's, I don't know, just she's very good, very talented, just not my type of music. I don't think Bonnie Raitt is a country artist, and I uh, I stand beside that. I think she's more of a singer-songwriter type, and I, I don't think she fits the country genre. Uh, but hey, like that's just my personal opinion, man. Uh, but I do like Bonnie Raitt. I think I Can't Make You Love Me is one of the best songs of all time. And I certainly did think she was more country than I do now, even, even a week ago when I started looking into her music and stuff. And yeah, I, I kind of had her pegged as a country star, and, and boy was I wrong, because uh, that's not quite the case at all. There is country to what she does, but she's not a, I wouldn't say she's a country artist. No, it's almost just, it can get really Southern Rocky, uh, and I think she would fit more in that ilk, the singer-songwriter Southern Rock section of the store. Yeah, there's even some R&B thrown in there, too. Plus some sweet, sweet tuba. <laughs> So we start with a disclaimer. Charlie's Angels Catch the Sif will not be seen tonight. All these little disclaimers at the beginning that we've seen so far, they've they have all made me laugh. they are I'm really pleased with them. Uh, what are you guys thinking? Chili, I know you've seen one before. Yeah, I thought this was a nice little surprise. You know, it kind of set the tone for what was a bit of a darker themed episode, I think, as we go through the sketches. But yeah, I liked it. It's a nice, quick little joke. It's funny. They seem to not mind going, this is not the first one that they've been slightly edgy with. And yeah. uh, I like that they take little risks on them. Uh, when, like, didn't they have one about AIDS or something? Uh, well, the, the Grinch that raped and strangled Christmas. Raped and strangled. Yeah. I don't know why I thought it was AIDS. Yeah. I don't know. No, there was no AIDS yet. Well, I mean, I shouldn't say that. <laughs> <laughs> A couple. It's it's actually 1978. It's about to land. Yeah, it's it's there already. Of course. Yeah. Cold open. Paul Schaefer plays Don Kirshner, and he's hosting a parody of, of Don Kirshner's show Rock Concert. Kirshner was a real life musical impresario. I produced music, a couple of TV shows at the time. He's been mentioned on the show before. This is a rare early comic bit from Paul Schaefer. Schaefer, certainly with the band since day one, but slowly got into contributing to sketches as a writer and usually more involved in the musical side of the writing. His first biggie was that Shirley Temple sketch, and uh, he's certainly gone on to be a big part of the Nick the Lounge Singer sketches as well. So this sketch, uh, we have the Mr. Mike and Tina review, a parody of Ike and Tina. Um, Garrett is playing Tina Turner. Lorraine, Jane, and Gilda are the Mikeettes, who are backup singers for Mr. Mike. Garrett intros a song in a way Tina Turner is known to do, most notably Proud Mary, which is the song they go on to do. Mr. Mike sits with a guitar, tells a story about a rabbit who works in a factory, but won't amputate his ears, so he keeps getting them caught in a big wheel, which is how it ties into Proud Mary. They do this high-energy performance, and Mr. Mike pulls rabbits from the hole of his guitar. It goes back to Paul Schaefer, who gets to do his first live from New York. This was high-energy, very spirited. Didn't really laugh too much. Garrett is did a really good Tina Turner. He's really getting a lot of these drag bits, and he, he's doing quite well. Um, he's he's going to get way more as we go on. All things considered as a cold open, it was nice to see Paul Schaefer, but I certainly didn't laugh much at this. I mean, I agree. It wasn't particularly funny, but this is one of my favorite cold opens in a little while because it had the high energy. It, it was it was different. Uh, you know, Garrett did a good job. He looked, you know, jacked as shit. <laughs> he was a good-looking Tina Turner and uh yeah, even I didn't even know it was um Paul Schaefer doing the impression, but now that you mentioned it, I definitely see it. So, yeah, for a cold open, it actually had a, a decent amount of variety to it as well. No, no, not for me. Uh, I have issues with the uh, the drag and the fact that it's almost exclusively Garrett and he is black. And I did not think Mr. Mike was funny. And the you know the the girls did an okay job. Paul's delivery of live from New York was shitty. I, I didn't like anything about it. Two thumbs down. The three of us, we grew up with Paul Schaefer as Dave's musical director. What do you think of Paul Schaefer at this point? Was was it a shock to find out that before Dave, Paul had another prominent gig? I wouldn't say shocked because, I mean, I, you always assume they come from somewhere. And it's not like he, I mean, listen, he was on SNL for a while. It's not like he was a huge star on it. So I just think it was not shocked. It was a, oh, that's nice to hear, you know. <laughs> They didn't just pull this guy from out of nowhere. I agree with Chili pretty much entirely. Uh, I mean, I assumed he had previous jobs. I certainly got to know him on Letterman. I don't remember when I learned 
that he uh, worked on SNL. But I mean, I guess I think I just thought like, oh, that's neat. You know, I, I didn't think too much of it. Thinking of it now, I think maybe why I wasn't so shocked is because I remember being very young reading an SNL book and yeah. they talked about how uh, Schaefer was the first person to ever say fuck on TV. I was young enough where I kind of knew him a bit on Letterman, but I also knew him probably just as much as the first guy to ever say the F word on television. And we'll cover that down the line. We now go to the monologue. Robert Klein comes out to a nice ovation. He does a stand-up bit about going to school at Alfred University, a rural university, or what was a rural university in upstate New York. Talks about encountering anti-Semitism and then does a bit about playing Shylock. I don't have much else to say about this. As an SNL monologue, it's, it's fine. It's definitely his his shtick he's performing elsewhere, but it's obvious that the man is a comics comic, um, and he really had the audience from the get-go and never lost them. Um, it's really making me want to seek out more of his long-form stuff. Um, I didn't dig it as a monologue, but I dug it as stand-up material. Yeah, and I think that's something that you see with stand-ups doing the monologue is... For as good and polished as it is, you do lose a bit of the nerves that you get from some of the less experienced hosts, I guess we'll say. But I laughed at uh, some of his bits. The audience seemed to really like it. So I give this I give this one a pass. I enjoyed this as far as some of the monologues I've seen recently. I also dug it. I thought it was a step up from Steve Martin's monologue, which I did not care for with that stupid electrocution bit. This was something, you know, it's... Here's a guy that's just using a little more versatility, the the versatility of his talent a little more to be funny. I don't know. I just found Steve Martin so hacky last time. Uh, Yeah, I actually laughed a few times. I was into it. We now go to the debut of the Olympia Cafe, and these were written by newcomer, writing newcomer Don Novello. Um, And it's based on a greasy spoon he used to go to called the Billy Goat Tavern in Chicago. John plays Pete. He's the owner at this Typical Greasy Spoon. Dan, Bill, Lorraine, and Don Novello play his family and also the staff. Customers are coming in to order food. Most look for cheeseburgers. It is their specialty. This is the sketch which has the old cheeseburger, cheeseburger, no Coke, Pepsi, cheeps. Klein comes in and orders breakfast, not a cheeseburger. Bill doesn't understand him and goes to make him a cheeseburger. This is all about yelling the word cheeseburger to to, uh, the audience's delight. It's not a strong, structured sketch by any means, but I laughed throughout this whole thing out of the familiarity of it. There are um, Olympia cafes on every street corner in my town. I love going to them. Food is great. Prices are great. Service is great. Communication can be a tad tricky. Really enjoyed the performances in this. Um, I, I mean, this goes on to be uh, to be huge uh, in, in Saturday Night Live lore. And the Billy Goat Tavern itself goes on to uh, bump this up a lot and get a lot of business out of it. This is good. It was well performed. Um, I can't really say anything negative about it. I do know it's you know kind of an iconic sketch. This is the first time I've realized how, I don't want to say derivative, but I guess we'll say derivative it is of the Monty Python spam sketch of just saying the same thing over and over and over again until it just, and you know, a not funny word becomes funny and how it's delivered. That also takes place in a restaurant as well. So I don't know. I know it's an iconic sketch. It was good. I did laugh at it, but I guess I can kind of say I don't necessarily see what all the hubbub was about, especially the fact that, you know, I found there were much better other sketches on this one episode alone, let alone the first several years of SNL. I liked it. I thought everybody was really good in it. I thought Bill Murray was especially good. I liked the the little gags about the ice and everybody was nailing their voices and it was just kind of absurd. Like, don't overthink it. It was just kind of silly fun. But, you know, when it's played so earnestly, that's when I really appreciate it. Yeah, now there's some trivia associated with this. Both Brian Doyle Murray and Don Novella make their first on-screen appearances. The grill was actually a real working grill, and Dan was actually grilling up burgers. And uh, John Belushi based the role on one of his uncles who owned a hot dog stand. And uh, for the record, hot take maybe, I prefer this to the spam sketch. And I can see why. There's nothing wrong with it, though. You know, you know comedy's based off of building off of other people's stuff. It's taken me almost 40 years to recognize the similarity, so it's not that bad. We now go to Ex-Police. This was written by Franken and Davis. Robert Klein and Lorraine Newman play a unmarried couple living together, and they're sitting on their couch. Klein gives Lorraine a gift for graduating medical school, and it's then that they mention they're not married. Dan Aykroyd and Bill Murray barge in as Ex-Police, two cops who were kicked off the force. We've seen them before. 
They brutalize the pair because it's illegal to cohabitate. Bill knocks out Klein and Dan kills Lorraine by knocking her against the wall many, many times. They wake up Klein uh, to make him think that he killed her. In there, they say another promiscuity-related death. This sketch ends with uh, Robert Klein standing at the sort of dragnet lineup where they narrate what happened to them. And he was uh, convicted of first-degree murder, sentenced to life in prison, but killed a couple of months in. I didn't like this very much. There was some good seconds in it, but um, everything they kind of did with this one, they already did with the uh, the marijuana one. So reluctant pass for me. No, I, for me, I disagree. Um, I was here for the last time I think they did the ex-police sketch. I found this one just as funny, if not funnier. I don't really remember my reaction to the last one. But I just find like Dan and Bill do such a good job. And like, this is a, you know, this is a very dark <laughs> sketch, but it's delivered in an upbeat way. You know, it's never fun to watch like, you know, them beating a woman off a wall until she's dead, but it's just so over the top. It takes it beyond the point where you, you know, you feel okay laughing at it. And, you know, he died while being sexually assaulted by other inmates is about as dark as you can go as well. But it's delivered so jokingly. I thought this was a lot of fun. You know, fun is fun. Yeah, I'm with you, Chili. I thought this was great. I loved that it was pretty edgy and sinister and dark, but they never stopped having fun with it either. Because uh, it, it was really over the top when she was bouncing her head against the wall. It's not. It wasn't like Belushi smacking around Gilda like he meant it. Yeah, it was just over the top enough. Klein was really good in it. I, I really enjoyed the whole thing. And I, you know what? I did enjoy it more than the other one. I thought this was some some good, greasy, late-night fun. We now go to Bonnie Raitt. She's introduced by Robert Klein, still in his uh, his Dragnet police lineup. He's got a head bandage, doesn't he, with blood on it or something? something yeah. Like that. Bonnie Raitt, born in Burbank, California in, in the 40s. Uh, she released her debut album in 71, and her last album prior to this was Sweet Forgiveness. It hit uh, 25 on the pop charts. Tonight, she performs a cover of Del Shannon's Runaway. This was the uh, hit from the album, hitting number 57. So for me, a couple of bars in, I recognize what she was doing, what song she was playing. I like the original too much, probably to have really grasped onto this. I mean, I can't doubt her power or her talent, but I just didn't like the version of the song. And I didn't particularly like how it was performed or even why it was redone. Uh, (laughs) This didn't work for me at all. I could not agree more. And probably for the same reason, that's, I would say it's one of my, well, fuck it. It's one of my favorite songs. I think the original Del Shannon version, I find by getting rid of the, I don't know the exact, but if it was a synthesizer or the very distinct that comes in the original version you you can't replace that with just you know soulful you know soulful guitar or whatever she did as good a job of that version of the song as you can do but for my opinion the original is too good and if you're not going to improve it don't redo it someday lads someday we are going to agree on the music it's not today but (laughs) i believe it will be someday i thought this was awesome uh, I thought everybody was really good. She has an amazing voice. I thought this version was wicked. I would rather listen to this than the original. Mm. And I think you guys are way off. <laughs> you know that instrumental part in this song, in the original anyway? I always thought that that was the same song when Mike Tyson, in Mike Tyson's punch. When up you're training? Yeah, when he's training. I always thought that was the song they used. I thought the same thing. I want somebody to make a cover of their own. And she really did that. Like, this is what I want out of a cover. I don't want to hear it. But, you know, if I want, I can fucking listen to the original if I want to hear the original. Uh, So don't just do it again. She made the original a Bonnie Raitt song. See, I don't think she went far enough with it. That's, That's interesting. Yeah, maybe I'll have to listen to them back to back or something. Different instruments, but it's the same song. Yeah, I know what you mean, but uh, she and that's I, maybe that's why I liked it so much because she yet yeah, she didn't drift too far. But there, she, you know, it was totally a Bonnie Raitt song. I mm. thought there was the spirit of the original, and there was you know some slight medley changes here and there. But I'm not so boned up about the original as you guys are either. Mm. I'm like, okay, it's it's a fine old song, but I uh, you know never really landed with me or anything. So we're on to weekend update. It's it's brought to you by Dim It All, which turns your mind into a donut shop. A crashed Russian nuclear satellite was found in a Nova Scotia lobster bed. The lobsters are as large as helicopters, and you can read in the dark with mackerel from the area. They show a 
picture of a guy who looks like Tom Snyder getting lynched or being tied up to something. They say it's Tom Snyder getting lynched. A bit about Einstein's theory going wrong. And they uh, have a glitch there where they show a picture of recently deceased baseball manager Casey Stengel. It then goes to Jane, who's rifling with papers, and she mentions Casey Stengel and says Roseanne, Rosanna Dana needs a second to get settled in. Throws to Roseanne for a bit about aneurysms. This comes on the heels of former Attorney General John Mitchell having had to have an operation for one. She says it's okay if someone has an aneurysm on the inside, but not on the outside where people can see it. Compares it to a wart she once had and then goes into a bit about other gross things. Again, she makes Jane sick and we get the uh, it's all with something. My takeaway from this one was the jokes were meh all around. Dan is getting much better. He's he's almost on par from what I sort of expected now. But Jane was the star of this one, uh, as good as Roseanne was. Jane was more like her old self, and she was really a true pro during all the uh, the glitches with uh, Roseanne coming in to get settled. Yeah, it seemed like a pretty big technical screw-up they had there, but Jane handled it fairly well, I think. And I did look it up, because the... Uh Joke in the beginning about the gang bank with Larry Flint and what I assume is some banker meeting. Yeah, Bert Lance, Secretary of the Treasury, I believe, resigned in disgrace. That seriously must have only been, assuming that picture was taken, you know, the week of the show. It would have been pretty, not too long before Larry Flint was paralyzed. What year was this episode aired? This was January 78. 78, so yeah, so it was within a year. Hadn't thought of that, yeah. But yeah, otherwise... Jane was good. She covered it well. And I did Google search to see if there really was a crashed nuclear helicopter off Nova Scotia. Nothing I could find, but uh, I'm starting to think it may have been tied into something else in this episode. Weekend Update was okay. I feel like it's coming along. I disagree completely about Dan Aykroyd, though. I think he's really bad at this. He's His head is down all the fucking time. He doesn't look like he's having a good time. He's got a shit-eating grin on his face. He's a bad fit right now. And he brings the whole segment down, which is what a weird thing to say about Dan Aykroyd that he brings a segment down but he's tanking this I hate Dan Aykroyd on weekend update Jane killed it I like uh, Gilda again uh, in her character I like when Jane kind of mouths along her lines with her the contempt that Jane has for Gilda's characters uh, still near and dear to my heart I, I thought this was a this was a passable weekend update. It was decent, but they got a Dan or somebody's got to fix them. Chili, it's your first look at Roseanne, Rosanna, Dana. What do you think? It's the first official look with you guys. I have seen her in a lot of other sketches. I do like her better than the other uh, Gilda character, who's the old lady who kept mispronouncing things. Uh, I could definitely see this being one that overstays its welcome a bit, but. For this one, first time seeing her, it was very good. So on January 24th, 1978, a Soviet nuclear satellite called Cosmos 954 re-entered the Earth's atmosphere and exploded over northern Canada. Radioactive debris was spread across uh, eastern part of Northwest Territories, western part of what's now Nunavut, and uh, northern Alberta and Saskatchewan got some of it too. So that must have inspired this story. Oh, I would think so. Hearing that, I would, uh, yeah. For sure. And that's nowhere near Nova Scotia, for those who don't know the Canadian geography. Needed a place upwind is all. So now we go to Nick in the powder room. And this is Nick, uh, the lounge singer. In this one, he's Nick Winters. It's written by Bill Murray, Tom Davis, Marilyn Miller, and Paul Schaefer, who handled most of the Nicks, all of them. He's in the powder room at the Meatloaf Mountain Ski Lodge. He starts by singing uh, the uh, a lyrical sort of version of Also Sprock Zarathusa, also known as 2001's theme. He talks to Gilda, who broke her leg earlier that day, and he signs her cast. He speaks to her husband, played by John Belushi, and then goes to a German Heinz Kleiman, played by Klein, who calls Nick a pimp. Lorraine plays a woman who appears to be stepping out on her husband with Heinz Kleiman, the ski instructor. Bill sings uh, Brown Eyed Blue, and uh, that's the way I like it. Dan joins, uh, as he always does, as Jimmy Joe Red Sky with the snow report. He's found a dead porcupine that he killed with his snowcap. Bill goes into the famous Star Wars song. This is a beloved sketch, and while I really enjoyed it, I didn't think it was much better than most Nick sketches. The kicker in this one, of course, being the uh, the, the famous Star Wars thing, which people absolutely adored at the time and still quote and sing to this day. Energy through the roof, though. Uh, but again, this is a standard Nick sketch that was no different than other Nicks. I happen to like Nick, so I like this sketch. Yeah, for me, this one was a big hit. First of all, I have to correct you. 
That song is also known as Ric Flair's theme song for any wrestling fans out there. <laughs> you know, obviously I don't see as much of this as you guys do. This is my first episode seeing Nick, but even before that, I knew this character. This sketch in particular is really big in our house. We're a bunch of nerds. We like Star Wars and we always sing the Star Wars song. So that gets a huge plus. Yeah, I think it says a lot that even to this day, I find SNL always comes back to doing Let's do schmaltzy versions of currently popular songs. And, you know, they do it with Robert Goulet. They did it with the uh, Will Ferrell did it twice. I think he did it the other time where it was him and uh, one of the girls doing like the sort of like up uh, uptight people doing yeah. rap songs. So, yeah, this was this is great. I liked it a lot. Me too. Great sketch. Hilarious songs. Great performance from Bill Murray. Definitely sealing the deal for him as a big star on the show. Really big star of that Bill Murray. He's going to make it in the big pictures, I think. And that Rolling Stones list of the uh, best 50 sketches put this one at 43rd. We now go to a Chiron uh, on a man who is an unemployed snowman. That's one of the few ones of those that actually make me laugh as well. We now go to Frog's Look at Film. Lorraine plays a French television host and a friend to Francois Truffaut, who talks about the love the French people have for Jerry Lewis. She throws it to a film called The Nutty Air Traffic Controller. Robert Klein plays uh, Jerry Lewis as Melvin. Dan plays his boss, Chester Butterworth. Jane as his girlfriend and boss's daughter, Veronica Butterworth. Uh, Garrett and Bill play co-workers. So in this sketch, it's just what would happen if a Jerry Lewis character was a uh, air traffic controller. I did not like this sketch. It was an excellent Jerry Lewis impression, which a lot of people do, but it was still excellent. This was just, I, I don't know, something wasn't working. The timing was definitely off. Um, and uh, I don't know, didn't like it. Excellent impression, though. Yeah, I'm pretty much on the same page there. Very good impression. Um, there's only so much, and this is like, I, I've never seen jerry lewis and anything to the best of my knowledge after watching a five minute sketch of what seems to be a pretty good impersonation of him i don't think i need to see any more of than five minutes of either jerry lewis or somebody doing his impression because i found once he sat down the sketch kind of dragged to a bit of a halt uh, i thought dan was great it's you know a pretty stock character but he had a lot of fun with it um yeah this is very much in the middle good impression but not too too much and it was also once again, kind of went down that dark, you know, the darker side of things. So, I don't know, very much in the middle. Uh, I'm on the, I'm on the, this was shit side. I thought this wasn't funny. Yeah, I get the impression there's no jokes behind the, uh, the voice is all. Uh, Lorraine added absolutely nothing to the sketch. Nobody except for, you know, the, the impression was fine, but nothing else about it was redeemable at all. Fucking, why are you doing Jerry Lewis jokes in 1978? Get out of here. People are still doing Jerry Lewis jokes in 2023, though. Yeah, they don't so even they, know who Jerry Lewis they, is. They need a talking to. Yeah. Give him my number. <laughs> and I, I mean, part of it, too, is I really, as much as I revere these old comedians, I can't stand Jerry Lewis. Um, his his shtick or even interviews I've seen with him just seems like a, a very unpleasant individual. Stay tuned for the episode he hosts. So we now go to Nerd Rock. Dan Aykroyd is, plays Larry Duggan, a disc jockey interviewing a new band called the nerds and the nerds are Todd DeMuka, Lisa Lupner as played by Bill and Gilda in this episode, in this sketch, they're known as pizza face and four eyes. And they're members of a band with Robert Klein who plays spaz. They didn't pick the name, the nerds, other people picked it and gave it to them and their songs on their new album. Like, please take my lunch money. Dan is trying to give away some albums, but no callers are calling in. Jane comes in as Mrs. Lupner um, in this sketch, she's actually Spaz's mother, not Lisa's, unless they're brother and sister. I don't know. Anyway, this wasn't great. Uh, Todd and Lisa go on to much bigger and better things, as does Jane as Mrs. Loopner. This is very humble beginnings for these characters that go on to be huge on the show. So this was their first appearance? It was, yes. Okay. Yeah, in that case, there wasn't much joke to it, at least nothing that really landed too well. But, I mean, they're great characters, fun voices good looks to them and they've all like found a way to play separate types of nerds. They didn't do all do the exact same voice and look the uh -huh. same. So I don't know. I, I enjoyed the performances, but there just wasn't too much of an actual joke behind it. Aside from just tired old nerd song titles and stuff like that. So kind of on the fence about this one, but I give it a thumbs up overall. Thought it was stupid. Didn't laugh. Nothing really funny here. Like you said, Julie, it's just a bunch of 
stupid nerd jokes and they're not even particularly clever and if you're relying on the performances so heavily you just couldn't in this situation it's their 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 first time out there you're getting i don't know i just found this very frustrating because i know that the the sketches get a little better later on what an awful start i can't believe they tried again quite frankly the uh, the hit for this one was definitely jane for me when she came in as her character i thought she was fantastic and and the sketch kind of woke up robert klein comes out to introduce bonnie Raitt, but jane interrupts him to say the mutant lobsters have already taken out most of new england Klein says you're safe if you're an Orthodox Jew because lobsters don't eat them either. He then throws to Bonnie Raitt. Anything about this lobster update, fellas? I thought it was cool. I, I enjoyed it. I think it's, uh, I like the, the continuity. I think it's fun. Yeah, I agree. So we now have Bonnie Raitt performing Give It Up or Let Me Go with Robert Klein on harmonica. This was released in 1972 on her album Give It Up. The album peaked at 138, but I don't think the single was released. My goodness, I really enjoyed this compared to a Runaway. Really nice to see Robert Klein on the harmonica. I know harmonica always brings out a, a bit of a debate amongst us, but uh, it, it's cool to see him do that and how well he did it. He did it in his other episode as well. This is very Dixieland jazz sounding to me anyway, and I like that Dixieland jazz. What I didn't like about this performance is in the middle of the performance, there's a scrolling Chiron about the lobsters attacking New York. So fellas, uh, where are you on this performance and the Chiron, the comedy coming in in the middle of the uh, the middle of the music? I mean, the song was what it was. I couldn't. I wanted to initially, like, I'll be honest. Sometimes if I'm running tight on time, I'll listen to some of the song and then I'll be like, okay, I'll just skip ahead like thirty seconds. But in this case, I plan on doing that. But then the tuba really drew me in, and uh, it ended up being balanced. It was fun. I would never listen to this sort of on my own, but for the sake of killing a few minutes, it was fine. I was distracted, obviously, by two things. One was the tuba player with the blue. <laughs> like, don't stand a guy who looks like that playing the tuba directly behind you if you want any attention by yourself. He's very <laughs> distracting. And uh, <laughs> feel free to cut this part out if you want. But at one point, my dog sort of stood in front of the screen. And the only thing that I could see on the screen was the bottom right-hand corner where, like, Robert Klein was like bouncing his leg while playing the harmonica. And <laughs> just see his dick bouncing around <laughs> like it was on a string. So don't go back and watch it for that reason. And like I said, feel free to cut this part out. But uh, yeah, my dog's strategic, uh, his strategic uh, standing position made it so that that's all of the screen I could see for a solid 20 seconds. I thought this, uh, the, the, the music tonight went two for two for me on these songs. I thought seeing the host come out and play harmonica was super cool and I enjoyed it. I did not like the comedy insert. I find it disrespectful and you wouldn't do that to Paul Simon. Go Fuck yourself. Uh -huh. Show Bonnie Raitt a little more respect. I think the reason I liked the song as much as I did was because it sounded like something the band from the Muppets would have played. Yeah. yeah. Just a whole like thrown together bunch of sounds, but you know, it ended up working out okay. And yeah, I didn't get my opinion on the uh, Chiron part. I didn't mind it as much, but I did think it was weird. Almost to Matt's point, like you wouldn't do that for everybody. I get that she was still a little bit more up and coming, hadn't like reached her peak yet, but. You know, at the same time, I can't argue because it tied the episode together a little bit more. I don't think, you know, Bonnie Raitt is not some some fucking fresh-faced up-and-comer in 1978. She's been around the block a couple of times. Uh, I, I just really, I'm sure they asked her. And I'm sure she was like, haha, yeah, okay. Uh, but you just wouldn't ask Paul Simon. It's just, it's the implication. I really hope they asked her. I was thinking that during the thing. I really hope she was asked. Yeah, I, w I, I would assume so, yeah. And I guess one thing, too, is I don't know where else they could have put it, but the fact that this happened immediately after having the whole uh, Jane interrupting uh, Klein during the intro to this song, they found a way to space it out more, too. Um, they probably didn't need to have Jane come up and do it, and then two seconds later have the Chiron saying New York is being attacked. It kind of gave a bit more of a spoiler to the ending than maybe I would have expected, but... We can talk about that later. Rhonda Weiss is the next bit. It's Rhonda Weiss played by Gilda, uh, returning uh, returning character, and her friend J uh, her friend Barbara played by Jane, also a returning character, not as prominent as as uh, Barbara as uh, Rhonda though. And they are smoking dope. Rhonda is really tripped out, and she keeps seeing herself in Barbara's glasses. Barbara tries to talk her down by imagining they're looking at her wedding album. Um, they talk about past freakouts involving breathing and swallowing, which causes them both to freak out a little bit. 
I enjoyed this. This was uh, some weed jokes from from some uncharacteristic uh, sources. Really, this wasn't you know seventeen year old stoners or whatever. I thought this was quite clever. Um, they start to hear a weird noise. They call in Bob Van Rye, the stage manager. They break character, and then they call Belushi who recognizes the weird sounds. And I'm going to stop it there um, at this Rhonda and Barbara sketch, because uh, I actually enjoyed this and I liked where it was going. And then it was suddenly about faced. I found this one was just weed jokes and sometimes it hits, sometimes they don't. This was just nothing special uh, to me until it became, you know, more meta. And they called the you know stage manager on and even Belushi coming in dressed as a bee. Got a good little laugh out of me. Jeez, as much as I disagree with Chili's musical opinion, I agree with him on the sketches tonight, I must say. It's a fun little thing, this episode. This was stupid, stupid stoner jokes that they stuck these characters into. Absolute filler. So we segue right into Attack of the Giant Lobsters. So the noise that uh, Rhonda and Barbara had been hearing were uh, was giant the giant lobsters, uh, as mentioned previously in the episode are attacking New York. And we get to see some weird stop-motion animation of lobsters who are crawling up the RCA building, um, now known as 30 Rock, and they're eating people as they go. Lobsters break into the studio audience. Everything goes wild. Military folk are coming out shooting at the lobsters. Robert Klein sort of becomes the correspondent on the spot, and he mentions that Belushi was uh, was killed, was actually grabbed by a lobster and killed. People are running all over the place. It's absolute chaos. Klein says he'll stay in the end to uh, leave a record for survivors if there is anyone left to populate the planet. The band is behind him playing Nearer My God to Thee. People are dead all over. The um, studio audience, hard to tell if they were brought in as extras or if it's actually the studio audience playing along because they're just willing to lay there and play dead except for the odd person that's looking around. Garrett plays an old blind man who gets eaten. Klein throws to a commercial, says he doesn't know if he's going to come back. Uh, they return from commercial and a large lobster claw comes towards Klein. The image goes fuzzy. Don Pardo tries to th- tries to end the show, but he too is uh, killed. Uh, and then we hear Tom Davis and Michael O'Donohue, the writers of this segment, talking about getting a million gallons of boiling water and some lemons and sour cream and a truckload of butter to deal with these lobsters as the show ends. This was, there was no goodbye tonight. (laughs) This was a weird and bizarre way to end the show. It would never air today. No judgment on whether it should or not. Uh, Reading up a bit on this, this was definitely O'Donohue uh, and to some degree Davis's shot at what had become a very formulaic uh, show. Very predictable, so they wanted to mess around with it. Dave Wilson, very much against it. And uh, this was originally actually slated for season two, but it was bumped. It was a memorable sketch. I'm glad they shook it up, but I didn't like this at all. And uh, I don't know what else could have been done. Um, that's not really, I guess, our job. But uh, yeah, I just, I didn't like it. I, I, I know I should have because it's everything that live TV could be and should be, but it didn't work for me at all. This is one of my favorite things I think I've seen on this show so far. I'm a big fan of like the old cheesy 1950s, 1960s horror movies. It tied everything from what happened earlier in the episode, tied it all together into a continuing theme. You shouldn't have that every week. It's not the nature of SNL, but sort of like you said, it is live. It is good to change things up every every once in a while. Uh, they had some good bits in there. I laughed out loud when the army men first started coming in behind Klein and shooting. The line, John Belushi had his whole life ahead of him, well, at least another two or three years. Once again, dark <laughs> dark looking back on it now, but it's a good line. Blood, corpses everywhere, Garrett coming in blind. I wish I could have heard Klein a little bit better, but I guess that added to the, I guess we'll say, realism of it. Yeah, like for me, this is a 10 out of 10. It had, like I said, continuity, the theme. It continued the kind of overall dark theme of this episode. Separate funny bits. It had everyone involved. They, you know, they talked about the band. They had the producers. Every actor had a little something to do in there. The host got to shine a little bit, and it led to a unique ending I can't recall seeing before on SNL. So, for me, this is a risk that paid off. I like this a lot. 
What a great analysis, Chili. Uh, I can't follow that because I agree with everything you said. Uh, I thought this was fucking incredible. This is exactly what I want out of late night television, especially at the end of the show when it's, you know, it's late. You're tired. You might be a little drunk. Maybe uh, you've been smoking some weed. Maybe you're just, you know, waking up from a sleep to see this on late night television. This is exactly what you want. It's perfect. I thought it was perfect. Everybody was good in it. It was super ambitious, like crazy, stupid ambitious. And I think they pulled it off. I'm glad they didn't come back to a goodbye. It was just a weird, unique, interesting way to end the show. I thought it was awesome. There's a lot of lore about this, and people seem to be mixing up dress rehearsal with actual performance. O'Donohue did throw a fit when some sound cues went off wrong after the dress the sound the lobsters make were actually made by chevy chase like taped or i i believe so i don't i don't know if he was in the uh in the building or not but he definitely made the noises so we have no good nights tonight uh we just go right to uh right to fuzzy screens so our ratings tonight, uh, the host, I thought Robert Klein was okay, um, even more so than the last time, but I just didn't think they gave him much material. Best he had was, uh, was his standup, which he most definitely brought with him. Yeah, he was, I mean, he was pretty good. He was, uh, his monologue I enjoyed. He got involved with the, uh, he played the harmonica well, despite the bouncing dick. And... <laughs> Even like it was a bad sketch, but he did a good Jerry Lewis impression. And, you know, overall, I thought he did a pretty good job. One of my favorite hosts so far. I think I agree with you, Keith, that it didn't seem like they gave him a hell of a lot to do. He was, I thought he was quite competent and good and he blended in well with everything he did. And uh, I liked the monologue. Uh, I liked him. I, I was good with Robert Klein. Certainly better than the uh, my, my previous assertion. That was my next question, actually. Uh, so he's he's gone up in 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 your opinion. Yes, absolutely. The music, not for me. Um, didn't love the first one. Liked the second one, but uh, you know, fifty fifty for me on the music. Uh, I didn't like the first one or the second one enough to uh, to really put over the first one. I mean, Bonnie Raitt is 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 good we will see her again on the show in 1990 i believe um but yeah this just didn't do it for me tonight very in the middle here not my type of music but performed very well and yeah i like the second song better than i initially thought i would and admittedly the first song at least in my estimation anyway has a pretty high mountain to climb or big shoes to fill so yeah i put her Put her in the middle. She, not my type of music, but it was clearly well done. Hey, that's usually my line. I, I really dig this. I thought Bonnie Raitt did awesome. I thought it was cool seeing the host up there with her. I really liked uh, her cover. And, you know, it wasn't just the same old fucking boring ass white bread music. I think that's important. It's opposite night here in Essen Hill. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, guys... <laughs> what was the worst sketch of the night? For me, I'll say the worst sketch is, I would say Gilda and Jane smoking the joint before the ending. Um, I'm glad the sketch got interrupted because it seemed like a filler sketch that they probably planned on interrupting a little bit earlier. And then they said, oh, you know, we'll get a couple jokes out of it. But yeah, for me, that was a low point. Yeah, just because <laughs> when you're happy that a sketch gets interrupted, it's normally not a good sign. You know, I, I've been agreeing with most of Chili's comedy choices uh, all evening, but I, I, I have to hotly disagree here. That Jerry Lewis sketch was fucking ass. That was way worse. Terrible, annoying, borderline jokeless, like so misguided hated that sketch i'm with you matt frogs love film it's, it was called uh i think i'm as angry at what the elements were there for a good sketch but we got nothing um except for a half uh more than a, a good a very good jerry lewis impression best sketch of the night fellas for me um it's sort of twofold i guess overall the lobster bit at the end you know like i said i give it a 10 out of 10 it had Everything I like, it tied the whole show together. Cool ending, unique ending. It got everyone involved. I really got to give it to that. If we're talking more traditional sketch, I did enjoy the lounge singer bit, which is, like I said, has a iconic 
song in it that's sung frequently in the Morrison household. Um, do you want to pick one? Oh yeah, the lobsters. I'm with them. I thought the lobsters was unique. I thought it was awesome. Um, it was ambitious. It was funny. It was weird. It was, yeah, I thought it was super cool. Great television. Great television. I went, I went with Olympia cafe. Um, I really enjoyed it. I didn't expect to enjoy it as much as I have. It's been years since I've seen it. Um, and, and since that time, I, I think I've spent more time going to diners for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Um, so there's a familiarity there with it. Um, I just, I really enjoyed it. Everyone was all in and there was some really funny moments in there. The lobsters didn't do it for me. Who gentlemen is your star of the night? My star is going to be Bill Murray. Um, this is the first episode I've seen with you guys where he felt like he was being given a real true chance to shine. He had the lounge singer bit, which is fantastic. You know, the introduction of the nerd, which became like, we all an iconic role for him. Uh, yeah, everything he was given to work with tonight was good. Even as the completely jokeless air traffic controller who was talking to Jerry Lewis guy had to go through it. It was realistic. He wasn't trying to hog nothing. Yeah, Bill Murray, good good night for him. I'm with you again, with you again. Really stood out, some star-making uh, performances and some uh, budding roots there. Everything, everything he did was good, and uh, among the whole cast, he just really stood out tonight. And one of the, I think, one of the episodes where I, I really feel that for the first time, I really thought he was the star of the cast tonight. We got a sweep, guys. Bill Murray for me. It's the first time I've picked Bill Murray, and I think it's the first time you've picked him this season, Matt. He, we had Nick. We had Todd. The thing I laughed at the most in the Olympia Cafe was when he was staring at Robert Klein as he was ordering breakfast. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Ex-police, I didn't particularly enjoy, but he was the best part of it. Um, it was a really great night for Bill Murray, and it's the first time I've watched the episode where he... This is weird. You know, we're looking at this old show and bill murray has become such a big star but this is the first time where i didn't think of him as the new guy and it's strange to look at it from this way and think that but he he's definitely entrenched now and he more than carried his weight for me this was a, a tough show i'm coming off some a couple of shows i really really enjoyed um but for me this was a real slog and i can't blame robert klein uh, oddly enough, there's a lot of iconic characters in this one who are early in their run, but the sketches were bad, and I just didn't think this was a great episode. I had a few laughs, but nothing much. Um, very little of this stuff nailed it for me, and the music was just not for me. Um, I'm giving this one a five. No, I, for me, I'm I'm very high on this episode. Even going through trying to find... The lowest point, I had to pick what was essentially the worst part of an otherwise good sketch. Um, aside from the Jerry Lewis bit, there was nothing that was 100% you know, negative, and even that had a good impression in there. And, you know, Cheeseburger sketch is you know super famous, well-known. It had Nick, the first appearance of the nerds, and the very unique lobster ending. For me, this had a lot going for it. And even the music, which... I wasn't too keen on. I listened to both without any problem. So I'm giving this one an eight out of 10. What did I not like tonight? Let me think about what I didn't like. Cause I liked most of it. I didn't like the cold open. I didn't like the Jerry Lewis sketch and I didn't like the stoner ladies, but that's it. The stoner ladies was like just a bit of a filler segue for the lobsters thing. So I, I, I'd be willing to let that slide, but you know, maybe use that time a little better. The Jerry Lewis thing was just really bad. Uh, unless like Robert Klein was probably just like, let me do a Jerry thing. And they were like, uh, I guess. And they tried to figure it out in the writer's room and then they didn't give a shit. They were just like, whatever, let him do it. Who gives a fuck? Uh, let's get pizza. Yeah. Cold over didn't do anything for me. But I mean, I really liked everything. Weekend Update was okay. It was just okay. It didn't blow my mind or anything. But there was a lot of uh, ex-coughs. was awesome. The lobster thing I loved. And the lounge singer. There was just so much to like. So how much do I weight these three things? 8.5. I give this an 8.5 out of 10. 
Holy shit. Uh, this is one of them episodes, guys, where I'm the cranky one. <laughs> I, <laughs> I, I, I am completely dwarfed by your scores. I don't think I've ever been lower than the collective as badly as I am here. I almost went with a four, but I liked Olympia Cafe too much. Um, <laughs> so with my five, Matt's 8.5 and Chili's eight, we finish with a 7.2 which is not that far from the IMDb's 7.7. IMDb ranks this one sixth of the year and 108th overall. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I think the world is more in tune with you guys tonight than me. Which is rare. I thought uh, this episode, man, this this had just such a lot of classic moments in it with the lounge singer and, uh, you know, the cheeseburger and the birth of the nerds. Certainly there's a lot of memorable shit going on. And uh, I really think musically Bonnie Raitt is a real breath of fresh air to a lot of people because the music on SNL, even though and, you know, Keith, with love and respect, because I know you like a lot of it. It's so fucking boring, man. It's boring music almost all the time on this show. And, it's, you know, to, to have, you need those spices sometimes. You need Elvis Costello, and you need Bonnie Raitt, and you need just something a little more lively, because that, because uh, the rest of it can be just such a snooze fest. Like the Paul Simon, the Randy Newman, the even, you know, I know you're not going to like this, but the Leon Redbone too is like, it's putting the kids to sleep, man. <laughs> I don't know. I don't even think the music dragged it down too much for me. I just didn't get the laughs out of the sketches. I don't know. And uh, it's weird. Like you didn't like three. I think I liked three, you know, <laughs> it's, it, it's weird. It's just, it didn't tickle my funny bone tonight. And I think a lot of that comes down to the lobsters, you know, that was uh, such a big part. And I think those that do like the lobsters are going to be nicer to this episode than those that don't. Some of the worst stuff on this would probably have been ranked near the top of other episodes I've seen. Like the Jerry Lewis one, it wasn't very good, but I could realistically see on some of the other episodes I've done with you guys saying like, yeah, it wasn't very good, but nothing else was either. At least this had a good impression and moved at some type of pace. But yeah, very little to not like in this episode for me. And I'm glad. I'm glad. I, I'm glad it flips sometimes. You know, not often, but I'm glad it, it goes this way. Chili, thank you very much for being here. You're going to be back in two episodes for uh, a very interesting one I've been waiting for for quite some time. No, oh, wicked. I can't wait. Matthew, do you know who's hosting next week? No, let's go ahead and find out right now. How about it? (laughs) I think I'm about to get the most hot and cold reaction from you I've ever gotten. Oh, okay. Next week's host is Chevy Chase. Oh, I'm looking forward to that. Wicked. Next week's musical guest is Billy Joel. Go fuck yourself. (laughs) There we go. And we're going to be joined by Rebecca for that one. Awesome. Um, she's really been excited about this particular episode just for who's on it. Um, I'm a huge Billy Joel fan, so things are going to go a certain way. I think, um, fortunately we both agree on Chevy chase. Yeah. I'm looking forward to seeing Chevy host. And we've actually reached the midpoint of season three, Matt, 10 down, 10 to go. Right on. I love that. Yeah. We're going to, we're going to make it. I think so. I think that we'll at least make it to the end of season three. <laughs> <laughs> No, I think we've got a we've got a good couple of years in, and we had, of course, we were training the next generation of SNL hosts for those who listen yeah. to our Miskal Spillman episode. So Matt and I will be back in about a week, but until then, we'll be avoiding giant lobsters at all costs here in SNL. Hell. <laughs> <laughs>